1: To get the full-length, members-only version every week, join Slate Plus at slate.com/prudiepod. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence.
2: Dear Prudence.
1: Dear Prudence.
2: Dear Prudence.
0: Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudy. Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help.
2: Thanks. Thanks. Thank you.
1: Hello and welcome back to the show once again and as always I am your host dear Prudence also known as Daniel Mallory Ortberg with me in the studio this week is Linnea Jones the executive editor of autostraddle.com an independently run community for queer women and non-binary people she's also a senior staffer at autostraddle's A camp a mother of two and an Aquarius sun slash Aries moon who has absolutely encountered more than one ghost in her lifetime uh, Linnea welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. It's good to be here.
1: That was the first time I've read your bio, and it was extremely charming.
2: <laughs> good. That's what I was going for.
1: Would you—I'm I'm sure we don't have time to get into all the ghosts that you've encountered in your lifetime, but could you give us uh, either your most or least favorite ghost encounter?
2: Um, well, my favorite ghost encounter was when my grandmother came to um, sort of give me a hug through song lyrics in my, on my computer when I lived—I <laughs> was in California— And I was, she had just passed and I was crying and very sad. Mm -hmm. And this is a long, it's a long story, obviously, because it's a ghost story, you know, Mm -hmm. but um, eventually she just, she played a song for me on my computer. And it was every little thing she does is magic, which was, you know, that was cute.
1: I wish all ghost encounters were that level of specific and charming. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. I wish now that I had included a ghost story. It's been a while since we got a good ghost or haunted doll style question. So let me take this opportunity to put out a call to anyone who has (laughs) any sort of supernatural problems. Uh, We welcome them. Yes. We would love to help you solve your ghost problems. But uh, we don't get to start with ghosts. We get to start with homophobia. Good old fashioned homophobia. (laughs) Um, And if you wouldn't mind reading our first letter, uh, I'd sure appreciate it.
2: The subject is Future Mother-in-Law's Homophobia. Dear Prudence, My fiancé and I are extremely happy together. We share the same values, including a belief in the inherent equality of all people. His 30-year-old sister came out about a year ago. Everyone was extremely supportive except her mother, Lisa, who is in total denial. Lisa swears she is not homophobic, but she insists that her daughter is not gay and merely confused. Lisa has threatened my fiancé that and I that if we permit the sister to bring a date to our wedding, Lisa will not attend. Uh, Lisa also insists that she has no issues with our many queer friends attending the wedding. My fiancé confronted her, told her this request was morally wrong, and asked that she change her mind. She refused and said that if the sister persists in being a lesbian, <laughs> she will cut her out of her life. My fiancé and I were devastated because Lisa was always a good mother prior to this awful behavior. My fiancé can't imagine getting married without her present at our wedding. My fiancé wants us to give in to her demand. I don't want to be the cause of my fiancé's mother missing his wedding, so do I have to go along with it? It is weighing heavily on my heart that giving in to Lisa goes against my values, but I don't want to destroy my relationship with my mother-in-law or hurt my fiancé. One more thing to factor in is that we have asked the sister to officiate our wedding, and she has a wonderful girlfriend who we very much want to include in the celebration.
1: So let's start with the good news, right? The good news is that we can give this letter writer a very clear plan of action. Sometimes mm-hmm. I get complicated letters and I think, oh, you will have to have a lot of conversations and figure out what it is that you want and what you're willing to accept. Uh, but I can't exactly guide you through this. Whereas here... Uh, I, I feel like this last sentence is sort of implicitly asking, is there a way to ask her to officiate without bringing her girlfriend in order to split the difference? Um, and just in case, letter writer, that's on your mind. Don't do that.
2: Um,
1: don't do that at all. I think the other thing that's clear here is that um, Lisa is not the best judge of her own homophobia.
2: No, she is, she really super is not. She's very, very bad at that. <laughs> yeah,
1: she's super homophobic. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and no one should even in conversation, give her an inch when she tries to say, I'm not homophobic, but like you all just need to respond with, you're very homophobic. And we need to start by acknowledging that.
2: The line that has killed me is she refused and said that if the sister persists in being a lesbian, like it's not just <laughs> persists in being a lesbian. Like she's a lesbian. The sister is a lesbian. This yeah. mom needs to, it's just, it's. Um, it's everything bad. It's like, in my mind, I'm picturing, like, a a
1: toddler holding up a piece of cake they're not supposed to eat, and the mom being like, you put that cake down, but with lesbianism, and it's like, you put that lesbianism down right now.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that sounds exactly right. Also, the thing is, um, if this letter writer, like, stands up to this, it won't be the letter writer who is ruining the relationship between themselves and the mother-in-law or it's the mother-in-law it's this is lisa this is 100% on lisa
1: yeah you can you know don't accept her framing if she tries to frame it in such a way of like if you don't give me this you're blowing up our relationship she is Mm -hmm. blowing up your relationship exactly Um, And so I think sometimes I do hear from people who are like, we did the right thing, but it didn't work in as much as the, like, problematic actor didn't agree with us. So now what do we do? Um, But, you know you've already done the right thing. You just got to keep holding that line. So your fiance confronted her. That's great. Said what you're asking of me is morally wrong. Fantastic. I hope you change your mind. All of that's really good. Um, Just stick with that. Just um, don't back down if she throws a tantrum. um, If she claims you're ruining her relationship, (laughs) calmly disagree. Like just don't um, don't back off of this. Don't do this kind of like, well, we tried and it didn't work. So I guess we have to give in. Just go with, Mm -hmm. uh, she's officiating the wedding. Her girlfriend is invited. She is a lesbian. If you cannot promise to behave yourself, we don't want you to come. Um, Mm -hmm. And that will feel painful, of course, because your main goal is I want my mother-in-law to stop being, or my mother in, in your fiance's case, to stop being homophobic. But absent that, Um, you just get to go ahead with this is totally not a problem and you get to stop pretending it's a problem whenever you feel like it. Right, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, and of course it's sad and distressing because this is like um, a new level of homophobia from your fiancé's mom and so there's obviously a part of him that's like maybe this is all just a misunderstanding. This is so out of character from her. She's never treated me this way. So I'm sure she's about to pull up, but um, don't bank on that. Uh, I I think Mm -hmm. she's clearly committed enough to her homophobia that she's going to need to experience some real world consequences before she's willing to set it aside.
2: Yeah, this is not even like I won't come to your wedding. This is if she keeps being a lesbian, she's going to cut her out of her life. Like that's that's dedication to Mm -hmm. your homophobia right there. Yeah.
1: So, you know, this will absolutely involve a lot of big conversations with your fiance and giving him a lot of space to mourn the idea of getting married without his mom there. But I I think just to like really hold fast to if your mom was there and she was only there because we were willing to hurt your sister, um, and, and communicate that we were ashamed of her relationship with her partner, um, would that feel good? Would having your mom there in that context make you feel proud of yourself, make you feel excited about the kind of relationship we're starting to like embark upon together, make you feel like you're really behaving well in your own family dynamic? I don't think it would. I don't think your fiancé really wants it like that.
0: Mm-mm.
2: No, I agree.
1: Yeah. So I, I think... You, I think you know what's right here. Uh, I, I think it just feels painful to think of doing it. And you're worried about the effect it will have on your fiance. And I totally get that. So, mm-hmm. you know, between the two of you, give him a lot of space to talk about how he's sad. Don't share a lot of that with the sister, I think. Like, she probably also feels terrible about this. And so yeah, I think...
2: Can you imagine? Yeah. Like- it,
1: it would feel awful for her to hear a lot of from you or your fiance. This is really hard on us. Um, mm-hmm. just communicate to her you're officiating your girlfriend's coming we love you so much is there anything else that you need right now
2: yep I think that's a great plan
1: yeah and um, I'm really sorry and and I hope that your uh, fiance is able to find other ways to kind of process his feelings about his mom because clearly by the way like if she's doing this like the goodness of her mothering um, is now kind of retroactively in question and it may also be interesting for him to kind of look back and reflect are there ways prior to my sister coming out that my mom might have been very good to me but very different with my sister because my guess is you know your mom was probably on some level aware of her daughter's gayness before she came out and was probably doing some maybe more uh like um covert homophobic stuff towards her so Mm -hmm. You know, it might not just be like one day she woke up having swallowed a homophobia pill. Um, It might be, I didn't see this before. And now that it's so obvious, I can't deny it. I I can see more of it in the past than I could previously.
2: I think that's probably true.
1: And um, I hope you have a wonderful wedding. I'm so glad that your sister's going to officiate it. And uh, I hope that you just make her and her girlfriend feel so loved and so welcomed and so affirmed.
2: Yes. Congratulations.
1: Mm hmm.
0: Oh, okay. So, from from
1: one ism to another, um, this next one is uh, about whether or not it's always. Um... So, actually, I think the question that came up to me here is like, is asking someone to house it a favor you are asking, or is it a favor you are offering? Do you know what I mean?
2: It, yeah. I do.
1: I feel like sometimes people with really nice houses kind of treat asking someone else to house sit, even if they do pay them a little bit, um, as sort of like, this is going to be great for you. You get to have this amazing temporary vacation. And it's like, right. I think it will be better for everyone if we don't treat offers of house sitting as like kind of a favor, but that I'm a little bit going to pay you for. You're asking right. a favor. You're not helping somebody out.
2: Um, this is not an Airbnb situation. This yeah. Yeah. Is- like a job. Sort.
1: Yeah, it's it's a gig. It is a temporary mm-hmm. gig and people don't talk about that like in terms of like, it'd be so cool of you to do yard work for us because you'd get to enjoy our beautiful yard that isn't yours. <laughs> like, it's just work. Just consider it work. Yeah. It's not help. Um, so, with that in mind, the subject is racist neighbors. Dear Prudence, I'm a teacher, and one of my former students has moved back to town after college. He had a tough time in high school, and I helped him get ready for college. We'd also grab coffee to catch up whenever he came back to town. Now that he's moved back, he and his partner are starting out their lives in that typical early 20s way, working long hours, living in a studio, saving money for a better life. My husband and I travel frequently, and I'd like to ask the young couple to house-sit from time to time. They'd get to stay in a nicer house, more convenient to their jobs, get some extra cash, and we'd have nice people to take care of our pets. My concern is our neighbors, because the young man is black and his partner is white. We're friendly with our neighbors, but we're very different people. I know that they have guns for self-defense and hunting. I also suspect they might take it upon themselves to question a person of color they saw entering our home. Do I offer a house-sitting gig and tell my neighbors about the ethnicity of our house-sitters, potentially opening the door for some awkwardness? Or do I just not offer the house-sitting gig? Do I have the young man and his partner over for dinner with the neighbors and then casually mention they'll be house-sitting for us?
2: Ouch. So, so many I, cringes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's there's a lot going on here. And I think, yeah, notably is the whole, like, it would really be kind of a favor for them. Um and I think it will help you to not think of it that way. What is your read here? What would you do if this were if this were your situation? What do you think are the most important things for this letter writer to uh, bear in mind?
2: Well, um, the idea the dinner is a terrible terrible idea. Don't do that. Yeah, um, yeah, right don't there. Don't ever with you. put someone in that position. That is an awful. Not the neighbor, but this this student, former student. That's a terrible position to put someone in. Um, I think though, like. If you have neighbors, I'm assuming that this. she said that, or they said that they were friendly. Um, wouldn't you, don't you kind of tell your neighbors when you're going out of town, like, we're going out of town, someone's going to be house-sitting. Like, I would just, I think you do that, right? Don't you sort of give your neighbors a heads up just anyway, even if the you person s- who's house-sitting is going to send them into a, a racist rage, <laughs> like –
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're friendly and close with your neighbors, I could certainly see it coming up in the course of ordinary conversation. I think, like, long term, it's maybe worth asking, just given that, like, the whole history of, like, the ability to buy homes being bound up in, like, uh, white supremacist, like, zoning and banking and lending legislation and practices, it may very well be worth asking, do I want to own a home in a neighborhood full of racist white homeowners? um, Where am I investing my money? Um, Where am I choosing to sort of surround myself with uh, people who apparently don't have any of my like pretty core values? Like, why is my money going somewhere that my values aren't? Um, In the long term, if I have other people in my life who are not white, um, do I want to live in a neighborhood where I have to give them a heads up about how the other people in that neighborhood will treat them? Like, this may be an opportunity for a bigger question about um, the ways in which you have prioritized whiteness in your own life, but then get uncomfortable when somebody makes like subtext text. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, I think that those are all really great points. And I think um, if this teacher is dedicated to I mean, it seems like they are. It seems like they really care, like their heart's in the right place. Um but yeah, I think really sit down and and ask yourself like, is this? I don't know. Like, is this a great a great situation to to be supporting? It seems like maybe it's not.
1: Yeah, and again, I'm not saying like you should take this moment, sell your house immediately, move into a commune. Um, <laughs> but like, I, I think of. Um, Denb- I mean,
2: but don't do not do that. That would also probably be fun. Yeah, I think take,
1: you- <laughs> take this opportunity to ask yourself some bigger picture questions. One thing that might be helpful is, um, I don't know, letter writer, if you're familiar with NPR's Code Switch or Gene Denby's work, but he often talks and writes about... Um, like the ways in which housing segregation kind of ties back to almost every like big picture issue in like modern society. And so I would maybe recommend doing a bit of reading there and, and kind of investigating whether or not that brings up information that feels important for you as a white homeowner um, to think about. So we'll put that one to the side, because obviously the answer to your immediate question is not sell your house and move into a commune. But think about it. Um, yeah, don't don't have that dinner. Um, If you believe that your neighbors would yell at a black man entering your home, I think you're probably right. Like, I'm sure that they have given you reason to think that they would do that. Don't put him in that position. Um, And and don't put him in a position where you ask him to make that choice after giving him information where it's like, hey, I know you're my friend and I'm older than you and I've helped you out in a lot of ways. So you might feel kind of obligated in some ways to try to pay me back. But if I wanted you to house it and I want you to know that my neighbors are racists who might yell at and or threaten you, um, do you feel like doing it still? Like, that's not... Uh, that doesn't fall under the category of like giving somebody all the information they need to make an informed decision. That falls into the category of like needlessly exposing him to racism and and harm.
2: Yeah, especially um as it's framed here as like a favor where you like an Airbnb where you just happen to have to check the mail and, you know, feed the dog.
1: Yeah. And I I, I again don't want to discount like the ways in which you've been helpful to this guy. Um, but I think it's also important to kind of check yourself in terms of always thinking of him as like a young person in need of your help as opposed to at this point now like an adult making his own way in life. Like um, he and his partner live somewhere. They're saving their money. They work. They're not um, they're not in crisis. Like mm-hmm. they're doing okay. I- I- if you want to occasionally take them out for dinner and pick up the check because they're young people getting their start in life, that's fine. But it also doesn't sound like he needs you in the same way he did when he was like 15 years old. And I think that's okay. So maybe start thinking of ways in which you can engage with him a little bit more like a peer and a little bit less like a disadvantaged child.
2: I agree. That's a great point.
1: Yeah. So hire somebody else to house and pet sit. And by the way, those are like two separate jobs, right? Like pet sitting is a very different Uh, job than house sitting because house sitting you can mostly just like spend the night water the plants check the mail but pet sitting maybe like you know taking the dog out for walks multiple times a day feeding it making sure it's getting plenty of exercise like that's a much more involved job that's true so hire somebody pay them a fair rate and uh take this young man and his partner out for dinner sometime (laughs) and reconsider where you want to live yes all right we're moving back to Kind of slightly lower key questions, which I think is great. Um, this one's just about couches and like house guest policies, which, you know, I, at least right now I'm not seeing any like huge, huge, huge underlying issues, which is nice. And I think it's your turn uh, to read it.
2: The subject is No More Couch Sleepers. Dear Prudence, about 15 years ago, a friend of mine asked to stay with me and my partner for a few days, but we declined because the timing was terrible. We were starting grad school, new jobs. It was the first time leaving our dog alone, etc., all during the days she wanted to stay. She stayed with our other friends, but told me I was a bad friend for not letting her and her sister stay on our couch that one week and held a grudge for years. The friendship has never been the same. Now my husband and I are in our 30s and live in a large city and in a small one-bedroom apartment. Any guests either have to sleep on our couch or an air mattress in the living room. An old friend of my husband's was recently in town on a road trip, not specifically to visit us, and my husband let him stay on our couch a few nights over the course of about a week and a half. We never had a heads up about whether he was staying with us until that day or evening. Prudy, I hate it. I can deal with house guests being in my space when it's planned ahead of time, but when it's at the last second, my anxiety takes over and I just can't deal. My husband thinks I'm being uncharitable if I say no to house guests, but here's my question. When exactly is it rude to turn away a house guest? I already work in a helping profession and make less money than some of the people asking to stay with us. And at the end of the day, I am often physically and emotionally exhausted. Is simply not feeling up to entertaining guests a good enough reason to tell people who ask to stay on our couch, quote, sorry, tonight won't work for us. At what age can I reasonably expect people to just get a hotel or Airbnb or whatever if they're planning to visit our city and not to specifically visit us?
1: Do you have a house guest or a couch sleeping policy of your own?
2: I um I actually just moved in to a place with a lot more space than what we had before. But previously, I had about 840 square feet. Whoa. Um, so if we were going to have a house guest, they were going to be like, um, sort of attached at the hip, you know, Mm -hmm. because it's a small place. Um, so yeah, it was, um, not great, not ideal. Um, very stressful, honestly. And I think this person's question is, uh, when is it rude to turn away a house guest? I don't, I don't think it's rude, like in this situation at all. Like if you, don't want someone sleeping on your couch. That's a very good reason to not have a house guest. They can definitely stay in a hotel. Unless, of course, it's like extenuating circumstances. And then I think this letter writer would probably extend a sofa.
1: Yeah, I, I think the good news here is lots of people have different house guest policies. And there's no like official ruling. Um, you get to decide what you like. Um and my guess is that's a little tricky for the letter writer because I think they're kind of hoping for uh, like a point of etiquette that they can just like point to and say see uh it's rude to have this many house guests so uh you know we can't argue about it you just have to like do it because I think mm-hmm. the letter writer is like a little worried that their husband won't respect it if she says I don't like it um mm-hmm. But I just think it's okay for you and, and necessary for you to say to him, um, it's it's, let's leave aside charitable and uncharitable. I want to talk about um how we you know, think about our home, the ways in which uh, having guests is a lot of hosting work, hosting work which like maybe your husband do a lot of, um, and and, and again to just say like I. I don't enjoy having house guests a lot. I want to plan ahead for how often we have them over. And I want you to listen to me when I tell you um, it's exhausting and anxiety inducing for me.
2: Yes, especially if the this person works in a helping profession mm-hmm. that is exhausting and you don't want to keep doing that when you get home. And it's not like mean.
1: Uh, it doesn't mean you're a bad friend. It, it, it's, it, it doesn't sound like any of these people have been in crisis where it's the sort of thing of like, you're the right. only person I can stay with and I'm trying to like escape a stalker or get out of an abusive situation or like my landlord evicted me with barely any notice and I have nowhere to stay. Like, these are just friends who are visiting um, and kind of don't want to spring for a hotel room even though it sounds like they make more money than you do. And again, you don't have to say that to your friends. Like, no, you monster. You make too much money. Get out. But But <clears> – <throat> You know, you're not, like, um, turning Joseph and Mary away at the inn. So the other thing is, like, the other question I have is, like, do you want to talk to your friend who 15 years ago, like, moved you down to a lower tier of friendship because you said now's not a good time? Um Maybe you do. And, and I hope that you give yourself permission to because if you've stayed in contact, but they've also like held this over your head for 15 years, that sounds really painful. And I think if you want to ask, like, can we actually talk about this and try to heal it or say, I, 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 it's just too painful to feel like you're holding this weekend 15 years ago over my head. If you can't let this go, I need to take space from this friendship. Either one of those I think would be OK.
2: Yeah, it does seem to be bothering the letter writer to open up with that that old memory. Yeah,
1: and understandable. I mean, the, you say the friendship's never been the same. I think it would be painful to think, man, I say no to one request and my friend never forgives me. That's painful. Um, so I would encourage you separately from the conversation I think you should have with your husband, maybe reach out to her. Because even if it's like – even if it goes badly and she says like, no, I was right to never forgive you. You suck. And and you just say, like, I can't keep doing this. Uh, I, it might feel better to make a clean break of it and let yourself mourn that loss rather than kind of continue to stagger along in a friendship where you feel constantly resented.
2: Yeah, I agree.
1: Yeah. So I, I, I think just go back to your husband and say, I just want to make it clear. It's not that I don't care about our friends um this is just me when it's at the last minute i feel overwhelmed and exhausted and it would mean a lot to me it would be a gift to me as your partner um if you could help back me up in this and just say maybe like we'll have no more than one house guest a month and we want to know at least a few days in advance and also i need you to help out with like making sure we have clean towels and sheets ready because like
2: sure yeah you
1: know sometimes uh partners who have a really like laissez-faire approach to guests also kind of do so because they know their partner's gonna stress out about making sure that the house is ready. That's a fair assessment.
2: Also maybe having not like a little hosting like a plan in place so that you have like get the air mattress, get the sheets that fit the air mattress, get the extra towels that just stay clean and I guess have a plan in place and even maybe like a little grocery list that you can send the husband to go get the things. There are just there are ways to get this guy involved in in helping out with preparing the home for a house guest. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I hope my hope is that if you go to this with your if you go to your husband and you say, like, I'm sharing this with you in a spirit of like vulnerability and a desire for you to be there for me rather than like I'm trying to lay down the law or I think you're a jerk. Um, And if you can frame it in that way, my hope is that he would listen to you um, and that you could say, like, I don't need you to feel the same way about it. I don't even need you to agree that this is how like most people ought to feel about house guests. I'm just telling you, based on my own history with guests, based on the work that I do, um, this is too much. And it makes me feel like uh, I'm often working even when I'm not at work. Um, And to that end, I I I would love it if you could try to meet me halfway here. And I hope that that opens something up for him that maybe he he couldn't see before. But yeah, if you don't feel up to entertaining guests, that's a very good reason not to have guests. Uh, it doesn't make you churlish. doesn't make you a jerk. It doesn't make you a bad friend. Huh. All right. Back into the uh, weeds. Actually, no, this one's still kind of um, kind of sweet, or at least it has like a hopeful. Uh, the the start of the letter is tougher than the end of the letter, I guess, Um I will stop prefacing this and I will just read it. (laughs) The subject is old loves. Dear Prudence, I got Sarah pregnant when we were both 19. I was an idiot, unreliable, using drugs, basically ruining my life. Sarah and our daughter moved in with my aunt since she needed family help and didn't want the baby to be around me. Sarah later ended up dating and marrying my cousin, Steve. They are happy and have two sons together. I got sober four years ago and started picking the pieces of my life back together. I sometimes see my daughter, but Steve is her father, as he should be. Sarah and Steve have been wonderful to me over the years. I'm also starting to date again. I want to be honest with my dates, but I don't know how to bring up this history. The last few dates I had were all uncomfortable about the situation with Sarah and Steve. One even made a crack about Sarah, quote, keeping it in the family. What do I say?
2: (laughs) Um, how, my question, I'm dying to know how many dates, um, He's going on before he decides to share this information. I mean, I mean, like maybe that waits a couple of dates.
1: Yeah, it kind of sounded like it was several first dates. Mm -hmm. So would you say this is like a second or a third date disclosure, fourth or a fifth date? How would you, if this were you, what date-ish would you start telling people?
2: I got to be honest, I think like fifth Fifth okay. date. I got I think like after maybe even your first like weekend away together is maybe when you bring this up because if the daughter is not in his life um in such a a huge way. Mm-hmm. Like it's I don't know. I just it seems like maybe don't don't lead with that.
1: You know, that's a really good point, because my first thought was like, yeah, definitely bring this up on first dates, maybe even before first dates so you can screen. But you're right that um, he, the letter writer is not a primary uh, custodian of his daughter and, and, and doesn't even sound like um, has a fatherly. Like, it sounds like they're open uh, about the like biological relationship, but that he really considers himself and is considered as more of an uncle. Um, mm-hmm. And so if that's the case... Yeah, I think there's there's actually a good argument to be made for, um, you know, none of these dates are going to be like ever expected to potentially take on like a step parenting role. And so as right. such, it probably does fall more into like private information that you don't have to lead with. I agree.
2: I, when I was um, I was on OkCupid very briefly, um, <laughs> like several, several years ago, and I definitely had in my profile that I had two children. hmm be- For strictly like what you were saying, the screening process, Um, because I didn't want to date anybody who wasn't going to eventually at least be okay with the fact that they were dating someone with kids. Not that we were going to end up married, but, mm-hmm. and then I did end up married. But the point is, <laughs> yes, like I didn't go into great detail about um, my ex-husband or, you know, our um, visitation agreement or like how my mom felt when i came out to her like all of those things they didn't really matter so much so i think this this person could say for sure that he has a daughter um that is i think you could just say he, that he has a daughter that he sees somewhat frequently but like that's not i don't think that needs to be brought up um from the jump i don't think yeah but yeah
1: yeah i think i think it's kind of up to the letter writer like if he says it's actually really important to me I, I wouldn't want to get serious with somebody who would either judge me for it um, or who would try to, like, put her or in in terms of how we have established a family together. So if that was how the letter writer felt, I would probably encourage him to continue to disclose it upfront, maybe even before a first date. Um, but if he felt more like this is something that I don't like being really upfront about because it feels very personal, I'd rather wait to see if I'm ever going to like I'd rather wait to see if there's going to be a second date first. I think that would be fine, yeah. too.
2: Also also, the thing is, this is rude. <laughs> like for the dates to be uncomfortable about the situation is so tacky. Like what does it have to do with them? It has nothing to do with them. That's yeah. Rude.
1: Yeah, I think especially cuz a lot of people can be really quick to rush to judgment about somebody like getting sober and trying to like make real amends for like the damage that they caused when they were actively drinking and using and the ways in which that can be complicated and hard and so you know yeah absolutely like if someone's being really flippant about it i'll try to be generous and say maybe they've just felt uncomfortable and like made a joke because they didn't know what else to say which is kind of understandable but also not good um yeah it's not a great sign that that person's going to be a good like, long-term um, prospect for you. So basically, I would say, think about when you'll feel comfortable disclosing it and don't disclose beforehand. Um, wait until you feel ready, even if that's right away. Um, and if somebody makes a joke and you're hoping that it's just because they're uncomfortable, I think it would be okay to say, Hey, I get that it's kind of a unique situation, um, but I actually really love Sarah and Steve and I don't feel comfortable making jokes about them. Yeah. And if, they, if they're if they like, oh, you're right. I'm really sorry. Can we start again? That's good. And if they mm-hmm. get real defensive or kind of rude or like, well, it's a weird situation, so I have every right to make a joke about it. That, I think, is a great sign to just say, I don't think we're going to be a great fit and, like, pay for whatever you ordered and walk out.
2: <laughs> yes. You I, know? Lo- I love that. You're very good at scripts. So
1: this is perfect. It helps because it's not happening to me in the moment. And I I (laughs) always have a harder time thinking of what to say in the moment myself. Um, But it is okay. Like, if if somebody crosses a particular line on a first date, like, you don't owe that person another hour and a half if they're like mocking the ways in which your family has rebuilt itself around a time in your life when you weren't able to be present for your daughter. Like, and you don't have to yell or say, like, you're a monster. You can just say, I don't think this is a good fit. Have a really good night. I'm going to (laughs) go. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. And then, you know, again, for those people who do that, it's a good sign that you guys were not going to work out. That is not somebody that you want in your life. Um, That's true. But the last thing I'll say, I think, is like if you're just looking for a way to kind of broach the subject and let them know, like, hey, this is a pretty big part of my life between like the sobriety aspect of it and the having a a complicated but loving relationship um, with your uh, kids' parents. I think you could maybe say something along the lines of like, one thing you should know about me um, is that four years ago uh, I got sober um, and I have an ongoing relationship um, with some family members who are raising a child um, of mine. And I'm happy to talk a little bit more about that when we get to know each other a little bit better. Um, we all love one another and I- I'm really like grateful and proud to have their help and support. Uh, but I don't want to go into a lot of detail about that right now. Is that okay? And that can kind of just communicate like, The general outline, uh, the fact that it's really important to you, the fact that you're proud of it, the fact that it means a lot to you, um, and that you all don't need to – there's nothing they need to do right now. They don't need to, like, come meet your kid.
2: Yes. That's – I think you're right. I think my initial take that you shouldn't bring it up so soon is maybe that was a little short-sighted because I think doing it this way, this way that you've recommended is probably – that's a good approach because you're getting it out there. You're being honest and – you're also not inviting any sort of critique or opinion or action at all.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you can certainly save that for a second or third date, right? Like, I don't think that has to Mm. come on the first date. Because if you have a first date with someone and you're just like, she seemed fine, but there was absolutely no spark, there's no reason to share intimate details with her if you don't want to. Um, Right. But I do think, you know, somewhere in between the first and the fifth date is going to be the sweet spot.
2: I agree. Yeah.
1: Well, good. I'm I'm glad that you know everything else seems to be working out, and I hope that um, as he goes on more dates, they get better and better.
2: Yes. Also, congratulations on your sobriety and your life right now. That's yeah. honestly so so amazing and so great.
1: Yeah, it's fantastic. Okay. Oh, this one's sweet. Uh, the subject of this next letter is failed to check. Dear Prudence, After noticing some discrepancies in my budget lately, my bank account revealed a gap in my paycheck from two months ago. I usually deposit my paychecks on my mobile phone the moment I get them, but I suddenly remembered a time when I'd hit my bank's mobile deposit limit and had to deposit it physically, which I'm pretty sure I never ended up doing. I can't find the check anywhere. I usually tear and toss them after a couple of days. How should I broach this with my employer? Do I even have grounds to ask for a replacement check, as it was my responsibility to keep track of the original? It's a pretty significant amount I'm losing out on, but I'm worried about how this will make me look to my boss especially since i just received a promotion what's the least embarrassing way to tell him the situation and get my money
2: this is this is sweet you're right yeah
1: you're like worried that you're gonna look foolish or bad at your job this is totally a thing um yep uh, almost all, like, big employers have, like, a pretty well-established procedure for replacing checks. It's not like it happens constantly, but it does happen. Um, and you certainly don't forfeit your right to a paycheck just because you lost it. Like, that's no. not at all. Yeah. So just... um They'll probably have to issue a stop payment on the last one. Um, And, uh, you know, you may have to, like, sign something just affirming, like, yeah, I lost it. I'm getting a new one. Everything's good. Um, But they'll just issue a new check. You'll probably pick it up from accounting. You may get it in the mail. I don't know. Um, It'll probably take a couple of days, maybe a week. Hopefully not much longer than a week. But this happens. Your boss is not going to think, like, oh, my God, I can't believe we just promoted this idiot. No one's ever (laughs) lost a check before. (laughs) You don't need to be worried.
2: No. Also, like there's definitely record keeping that's that knows like they could find that exact check that you never cashed.
1: Yeah. So so just approach it breezily. I mean, don't just like walk in and be like, hey, chief, gonna need a new check. Lost it. Um, <laughs> but but just say, like, you know, go in tomorrow and say to your boss, Oh, I'm really sorry about this, but I realized uh last week or a couple of weeks ago, um I normally deposit my checks on mobile, but had to go into the bank and ended up losing the check. I need to ask accounting to reissue a check for me. What's the best way to go about that? Sorry for the inconvenience. That's it. That's as serious Perfect. a tone as you need to acquire. And enjoy your promotion. Enjoy your money. You worked. <laughs> you're entitled to it. You get it. And you deserve also, your promotion. maybe like direct person.
2: deposit. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That might be something that option. you want to start signing up for, because that would definitely be easier. I don't know if you have like a strong reason for wanting to do the deposits yourself, but this is definitely an argument in favor. Mm -hmm. All right. I I think that's it. I don't have any more advice for that person. I think they're fine. Mm -hmm. Will you read our last letter?
2: I will. The subject is two job offers, two times the angst. Dear Prudence, I am lucky enough to have received two job offers. I'm in my mid-20s and trying to transition out of the entry-level role I landed right out of college. Job A is absolutely the type of work I want to do. But it's in an absurdly expensive city where I'd spend most of my paycheck on rent. Job B is in a much more reasonably priced city, but the work itself is not as aligned to what I want to do with my career. Job A's city would allow me to meet more queer folks, and that's important to me. But is it worth the financial hit? How do I make this decision? This is like the question, right? Like this is totally life. This is exactly what it looks like. Have you ever faced a similar predicament? Um, I think as a queer person, you kind of are always aware of like what the queer community could or would look like in where you're going or where you are. Um, so I haven't had this exact experience, but I can, I can relate to definitely wanting to stay where there are more queer people, um, or go to where there are more queer people because it is important to have a community like that. Hmm. but also queer folks tend to be in places that are expensive.
1: Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a real issue for our community.
2: <laughs> it really is.
1: Um, yeah. I, 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 congratulations. This is a great um, problem to be facing. I don't think either one of these choices is going to either lock you onto a track you can never change if you decide you're not thrilled about it in a year or two. Um, and neither of them sound like a disaster. So um not to say like just stop worrying but as you make this choice remember probably both of them would have a lots of advantages and disadvantages uh and that there's not one like this is not the last time you're going to get to make a decision about where you live or how much of a priority cheap rent is for you
2: yeah that's that's really true because you will this this could happen several more times in your life
1: yeah so you know I would, if you know the absurdly expensive city, do you know anyone who lives there already? Because it might help to kind of ask like, hey, how much of your paycheck goes towards rent? Um, how do you find living in the city works out for you? How you doing? Or, and also like mm-hmm. maybe do you know anyone who has an extra like room in their house that can go for slightly less than like standard? Um, that would be a good way to maybe do a little investigating. Um, I would say if job B is in a more reasonably priced city, That would kind of weigh in its favor because as long as it's, like, a mid-sized city, there's going to be queer people. There's going to be a queer community. Like, the Mm -hmm. difference between, like, um, you know, like, your New Yorks and your San Francisco's, which are, like, wildly overpriced but also have, like, a pretty prominent queer community. But, like, there's also smaller cities like Salt Lake City and Denver that also have substantial, like, queer communities and resources. And so... Um, I would say maybe check out Job B, like, um, or check out that city, do a little digging, find out, like, how many gay bars do they have? Like, are there LGBT centers uh, that, like, have events or support groups or, you know, what kind of queer community are you looking for? Um, and and see what s- s- Job B, City B has to offer um, before ruling it out. But if it's, um, yeah, you know, if it were me, I- unless I really really hated the work that was um on offer in job i'd probably at least give that a strong consideration um and I, by yeah, the way I, I say that as someone who's lived in the bay area for the last like 10 years so <laughs> i often spend most of my paycheck on on rent um and that's just how it is but um i don't know i feel like um saving money is really really great um
2: it is yeah
1: But on the other hand, hang on, I'm talking myself out of this. You know, if it's the kind of work that you want to do and it's around, you think, more of the community you want to be a part of, those are two strong arguments in favor. So, I don't know. I would say do some investigating on how people survive in city A. Um, Draw up uh, an imaginary budget and see, like, how tight you'd have to save in order to make job A work. And then also do a little research on city B and try to figure out, is it actually – much less of a queer community or are they more comparable than I might've thought?
2: Also, I wonder what the, um, what is the word? The promotion opportunities are like at job, a where you could possibly get a raise, um, and be a little bit more comfortable. Like maybe that would be worth looking into to see if that mm-hmm. is something that you could strive for.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that might be something
1: like, uh, If you have two job offers to play off of each other, which is not to say, by the way, that I think you should go and say, I have another job offer and I'm entertaining. Like, you're the best judge of whether or not these companies would actually compete with one another or if they would just say, great, take the other one. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, if job A really wants you and it's the kind of work that you really want to do, it may be possible at this point to go back and say, here's my concern um uh, the uh, like offer you've given me right now means that like you know 60% of my paycheck would go to rent every month which would make living in the city really difficult i want to try to make this work if i can but i believe that i would need and then give them a number um like a yearly salary uh that you would need in order to make that move um doable um And it may be that they can come back and say, we'd be happy to help with some moving expenses or like a one-time like signing bonus so that you can more easily put down a security deposit. Um, They may say, sorry, we can't change it. They're not going to take the job offer away if you ask for more money. They're not going to say like, my God, you entitled monster. You're trying to negotiate. Get out of here. And do that with job B too, by the way. Like don't, um, I think now is a really good time to negotiate. Again, um, you know, uh, try to keep in mind what the offer is. Don't ask for like double it. I think that would probably be unlikely. But um, when you are on the verge of taking a job is often the strongest negotiating position you're going to have for a little while. So like now is the time to ask for help with moving expenses or a signing bonus or, you know, just more money. Ask if there's more in the budget.
2: Um, I was going to say also, this is this is really stereotyping, but I do think as someone who was a teen mom, I do believe that being slightly broke in your mid-20s so that you can do the work that you want to do and live in the city you want to live in is like maybe a lot of people's story. Like maybe being a little broke in your mid-20s is like the time to be broke. You know what I mean? Like if you can make that decision, it might be okay. Might Might be a fine time to just you know, live off of buttered noodles and and have a great time in your city and doing the work that you love.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you'll be the best judge of like, um, I, I don't know what your like healthcare situation is. I don't know if you have any dependents. I don't know if you have any like big debts that you're wor- looking to work down. But yeah, like if you said like, if I had to, I could spend the next couple of years kind of scrimping and it wouldn't negatively affect like my health Um, or my future, maybe that's worth a shot. And if you're like, oh, actually, I send money back to my parents every month, um, and the extra money would actually really, really help me, then that would be a stronger reason to prioritize job and city B. So it'll vary a lot depending on your situation. But again, both pretty good choices. You have two opportunities to ask for more here. I think you should do it. I did not negotiate for, like, you know, the first seven years of my, like, working life because i just didn't know how and i just figured if they had more money they would offer me it and <laughs> mm-hmm. i had to get a lot of encouragement from other people who had a little more job experience to say like
2: no oh, you can you can ask for more it's horrifying to ask for more money especially the first time first like three times probably you're i like, was terrified yeah yeah it's like crawl out of your own skin uncomfortable yeah. to to do that. Yeah.
1: And 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 it really is normal and expected. At In some industries it's less expected than others, but there's just you know, unless you're working for like the federal government where they like lay out like here are exactly when we offer like raises and steps and exactly under what conditions and there's no room right. to budge. Um companies generally understand if you ask, as long as you, you know, do so with a relatively like reasonable tone um and i wish i had known more about that i wish i'd gotten more like advice or feedback about how to start doing that because i just felt like kind of like back to that house sitting thing like the first time someone offered me a full-time job the starting salary was like thirty thousand dollars and i was just like are you even allowed to give me that much money like (laughs) my god you saints you angels i can't believe Mm -hmm. it and it was in fact you know spoiler alert not a lot of money in the bay area not a lot of money 2009 Mm -hmm. but 2010 but it was what it was well linia we did it we did it we helped everyone i think
2: i think we solved the world's problems Um, all of them
1: thank you so much for uh, being so so helpful um and i'm so glad by the way that you are now able to live in a house larger than 840 square feet
2: thank you thank you so much it was great to be here
1: And on today's plus segment and good for you for making up an excuse and backing out, um, And frankly, you know, I I feel you're so worried about, like, sounding judgmental of polyamory as a practice that you keep stressing, like, even though this guy has, like, made up obvious excuses to, like, get in my house and clearly try to push past my boundaries after I've said no, there's nothing wrong with what he's doing. Um, There is something wrong with what he's doing. What he's doing is not polyamory. What he's doing is trying to override your no. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash PrudyPod.